I'm your host, B. Getz, and this is episode number 22, coming at ya, deuce deuce, live and direct from the Vibe Junkie Studios in Oakland, California, and it's been a minute, but I am so happy that you are tuning in. And we're back here at the Up For Life podcast. I know I was going to say I was doing it every three weeks, a new episode, but this one was almost a month. So I apologize for folks that have been holding out. Um, it's a whirlwind end of the summer, to say the least. Uh, and just kind of took a minute to decompress from Burning Man and circle the wagons. But now I've got a couple episodes in the pipeline get back on track. So really stoked to drop this uh, Deuce Deuce episode number 22 uh, on the heels of another sojourn to the desert for Burning Man. Uh, we have a little bit of Burning Man content here and there on the podcast, and you probably can expect a bit more. Um, a really inspiring trip to the desert uh, with my partner Alicia and the Abraxas crew, who I talked about on the last episode. But I just wanted to take a moment and say uh, thank you and give a deep bow not only to the Abraxas crew, but, you know, Burning Man itself, the Burning Man uh, project. Uh, the citizens and denizens of Black Rock City and all the artists, artisans, creators, participators who, you know, kind of come together and create the alchemy that uh, is Black Rock City. There's no place like it on Earth. It only happens one week out of the year, but uh, what a week it is and you know, the music is always a major part of my experience, but uh, this year kind of just went more on the adventure tip. Uh, but I did publish an article about uh, some of my favorite music from Burning Man this year, 
and you can check that out if you just go to the upfullife.com page uh, it's called I Only Smoke Girl Blunts and it's just a look back at some of my favorite uh, musical experiences which included uh, the Tool album release on the day it came out uh, Braxis uh, drove out to Deep Playa on the Golden Dragon art car and we uh, debuted the album like a couple thousand people deep through a Function One system it was a once in a lifetime kind of experience um, and that was just one of many uh, we had some epic dance sessions the likes of Murillo the night of the man burn and the camp mystic party on wednesday night which featured closey first ever burning man set as well as a fantastic set from antenna in the uh, medicine crunk style you know the mayan warrior had bedouin that was amazing one morning uh, the white procession on abraxas with this new cat dj bamboo and this you know, godfather of the scene el papachango uh, I could go on. There was great live music at Reverbia and Crossroads Collective. But I, uh, I encourage you to check out the article that I put out. It's more like a blog post of just a first-person narrative of some of my favorite stuff. A shout-out to Person and the Librarian. They crushed it out there. Camp Question Mark threw down, as usual. Leland River from British Columbia was another one of my faves. Um... So I'll be playing a bunch of that music in the coming weeks on the podcast. I know we do a lot of funk and groove and hip-hop here, but I, I'm i really into electronic music, and I like to think a sizable portion of the listenership is as well. And uh, took a deep dive in that uh, arena when we went to Burning Man and, you know, inspired from that. We're just going to explore that realm just as thorough as we do you know, the New Orleans Jazz Fest, Funk, Lettuce, etc. Um, with that, we're going to pivot into episode 22's featured guest, um, none other than Smashletooth herself. Uh, Ashley was in town to play a benefit for my friend Greg Geiger, who had lost his leg on a motorbike accident hit and run this past March. So when she was in town to play the benefit, uh, we had the opportunity to sit down and rap. This one is a gangman dumps. You're talking about what? What you talking about? Man a true king, you're a buffalo scout. Man a true king, you're a buffalo scout. What? What you talking about? Shut up. What you talking about? Sit down. Just stay quiet. Oh, big man, this must start a So Smashletooth, uh, I first encountered when I moved out here to the West Coast. Uh, she's a beloved DJ, selecta, personality, uh, force of nature. Uh, one of a kind and really interesting person. And that's why I was keen to interview her when she came down here to play the benefit for Greg. So I reached out to her and she was down to do it. I, I don't really know her outside of just like some hello, how are you at a festival or at the Haven. When I first uh, encountered her, she opening for Mad Zach at the Haven in Nevada City some years ago, maybe three years ago. 
went with my boy Otis. We went up there to hear Mad Zach, but we left talking about Smashle Tooth. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was my introduction to her, and then I just kind of got put on the social media radar. She, uh, before motherhood, uh, she was really active and outspoken on social media. And it was just interesting to learn about, you know, other sides of the culture and other personalities of the culture, especially strong-willed, outspoken, progressive, and uh, just all-around colorful women like Ashley. So what really drew me into her is a post she made um, early after she had had her son Johnny, who she talks about extensively in the interview. Um, She had a really emotional post which was interwoven with her relationship to a particular reggae song by the band Stick Figure, I'm relatively unfamiliar with, but I checked out the song. She'll talk about it at length in the interview, but what that post revealed about who she is as a human being was so gripping that uh, it just made me want to know more about her, where she comes from in an artistic perspective, human, otherwise. And uh, yeah, it was in the aftermath of the ghost ship. Well, she was very close to that whole situation. And that's another topic that we talk about. We talk a lot about being a female in the music industry, which is something I often a topic I'll broach with my uh, female guests and she was open to exploring that uh, at length Uh, we talked a bit about her partnership with the pirate Andrew uh, a big time DJ out of Santa Cruz they both moved up to Portland Oregon outskirts in uh, recent times but uh, they're kind of like a legendary celebrated celebrity Santa Cruz couple if you will and really cool cats and it was interesting to hear her discuss uh, their path coming together and starting a family and we also talked a bit about the Grateful Dead because Andrew's a big time deadhead from out here in Cali even though he's like a reggae guy and a dubstep guy Um, the kind of thing I connected with him with is our shared love of the Grateful Dead and inevitably hard as she tried to reject all things dead for most of her uh, life you know, eventually they they got through to Smashletooth, so we talked just about the omnipresence of the Grateful Dead a little bit as well, and then we, we touched into some other stuff, like about her being really pro-LGBT and, and progressive in nature with, you know, what she supports in terms of human rights and equality, yet, you know, other than Mac Dre, she says Sizzla is her biggest influence and hero musically and artistically in this militant stance of, you know just intolerance of homosexuality of all kinds and i just freestyled that one and we really we really dug deep on that topic too so uh i'm trying not to spill all the beans in the intro but let you guys know this is a long interview it's like almost an hour and a half but a really engaging conversation with a fascinating DJ and uh, special human, Smashle Tooth, coming right up. You're listening to the Up for Life podcast, and I'm your host, B. Getz.
And um, here with Smashletooth. That's me. Ashley, uh, who's visiting to play our dear friend Greg Geiger's uh, fundraiser. Greg is one of my uh, dearest buddies, a fellow Jersey expat living here in the Bay Area, like myself, who sadly lost his leg in a hit and run accident on his motorbike back in March. Ashley was kind enough to come down here from Bumblefuck, Oregon, you said? Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, Portland, Oregon. Portland. But but Southwest, out. yeah, out there, Portland. Okay. And flew in, and uh, she's got a whole Rage team ready to uh, hang with her, but she managed to squeeze the Up For Life podcast in for <laughs> a little while. So thank you, Ashley. Yes, thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm really excited. Thank yeah, you. Honored to be here. Yeah, and uh, it's a long and winding road to get here uh in terms of just figuring out what we're you know how i was going to approach this and and i was really just grateful that you were interested in talking and and it gave me some motivation to kind of like get my shit together for this interview yeah djs don't get to talk much so you know i'll take the opportunity if i can get it yeah yeah well first things first you know you you had said you travel here from portland but you've recently moved to portland and you're our Bay Area, Santa Cruz? Yeah, I was in Santa Cruz for about 12 years, and I had moved there because I met my husband. Um, I was driving through um, Santa Cruz, getting ready to sell some shrooms at a festival. <laughs> I had dreadlocks and, you know, sold mushroom chocolates out of a picnic basket at that time. Um, barely was even in the festival scene at all. I had just kind of discovered it. Um through a friend of mine and um, I actually was in LA uh, in the film industry um, so quite the opposite lifestyle until um, I found this festival scene and started doing more psychedelics and um, kind of found myself if you will and I think so many people get to do that in this scene um, which is really beautiful and uh, also really terrifying because sometimes people go a little too far to find themselves and they can't come back um but long story short i'm going off on tangents here um i was driving through santa cruz and i met a young man he was in his 20s um he's 20 actually he couldn't even get into bars yet he wore a uh, poncho all the time every day and my friends all called him Shaggy, and they were like, why are you so into this guy? And I was like, he's just the most handsome thing I've ever seen in my life. And uh, 12 years later, we are married with a child, <laughs> so be careful. These festivals will domesticate you, uh, whether, whether you believe it or not. Uh, I believe That's kind of what happened. <laughs> I mean, I met my fiancé at a festival. Oh, you did? Yeah. yeah. So I, I feel you. On the other side of the country, but still. Yeah, we um, met at Lightning in a Bottle. We actually met at Lightning in a Bottle we were doing drugs behind a tree and uh and then uh in santa cruz we saw each other again probably doing the same thing and uh ended up making out in the back seat of my car for like four hours or something and the rest is history that's a beautiful story that's a not your average love story or festival story but it's kind of the best of both worlds if yeah. you will yeah everybody hopes when they pack up the car and go for the weekend that, you know, they're going to dance their ass off and they're going to meet the one. Yes. And, and you got to do and both And we did for life. first kiss on the dance floor, which was very romantic. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. And we actually ended up getting married on the same dance floor. We went back to the festival, Rain Dance Festival, um, which eventually became my husband's festival that he throws with Little John. 
and uh, we went back there to get married and so we got to get married and um, have our ceremony right on the dance floor where we met um, where we made out um, and kissed and uh, and also um, we named our son after Little John um, who started Rain Dance Festival because Rain Dance really brought us together and really brought me what I wanted in my life which was love and um, a family and um, I was able to get that from festivaling and I think ultimately festivaling came from me looking to find myself and feeling lost and finding family um, the best family I could find to find myself yeah so um, it's really shifted my life and uh in major ways and not for everyone but it's a path yeah. i chose and god damn it's been exciting yeah. <laughs> it's been a whirlwind it's a roller coaster but uh it's been fun very very yeah. a lot of fun has been had uh yeah so that's that's my love story in a nutshell right there that's awesome I, and I, it's not only just because i got engaged to a lovely woman who i met at a festival but i similarly can identify on a lot of levels. I feel like people, contemporary culture writes off the festival world as this sort of escape. But when you make it your life and you invest in yourself and the art and the relationships and the community building, and sure, there's plenty of partying and carnage and drugs and darkness. But, yes. But if you weather that storm, the, the really, really some like uh, unspeakable bonds and relationships and life experiences that manifest out of that such as meeting your partner and having a family and you know and, and then you know making the event basically a family affair mm-hmm. i mean that's an awesome yeah. you know on so many levels and i'm glad that we started there because i've been going to festivals on the east coast when i was coming up and you know the jazz fest in new orleans and the early bonnaroos and all that stuff but it wasn't until i landed out here really penniless and like with very little direction in mm-hmm. a dark place that you know the same affiliated festival world community that you speak of took me in. Yeah. Like, no, just I think a lot of us start there, you know, yeah. that penniless wandering yeah. soul, you know, and that's what, why we're all doing the same thing together and we all grow together. And, and then years, two years, three years, four years go by and you start grounding out more and then you see other those same people who were you coming in too Precisely. and you take them in and it's this cycle it's just this like really beautiful family you. yes you know schooled you and told you you know you don't take those drugs and don't go to that set and all that shit yes and you kind of file that away yes and then the tables get turned and then you're that it's you know, pretty mar- it's bear. really special it's yeah. really special especially for us um i want to say weirdos but just people that can't can't live the status quo yeah and don't have any interest in doing so but i mean you i would say with you respectfully like for festival world you're a weirdo like you are extreme <laughs> on a lot of levels and like that's part of the reason why i want to do the interview is because i really feel like uh you know like the character of smash Two. yes you know is, is there's a lot of like copycat shit out there but there's only one you you know and i learned that as i was telling you off the air when i first saw you play at the haven in nevada city and i don't need to tell you there's djs three nights a week there and it's a whole thing and it's a scene and there's a social scene that's very incestuous and beautiful and all kinds of things but the energy that came over the room when you got on the decks specifically you and the way women 
react to you. Mm-hmm. The it's, ladies love me. Yeah, I mean we all. Love, <laughs> but I mean, but women are empowered. Something different by well, you. Well, I think it's just taking. I want to explore that. Yeah, I. That's it's such a double-edged sword with that one because um, you know I play music that's offensive to women. But what I'm doing is reclaiming that and kind of creating an alchemy where I can take that really offensive song and then become empowered as a woman from it. My story, and everyone has a story, um, is that I had some sexual trauma when I was younger and I would cry every time I had sex. And I did that for many years and it was terrifying and I have had a big issue with it. And eventually I got to um, editing films and I got a job editing pornography. So I was in pornography. I wasn't in the movies, but I made money working in pornography. And um, I learned that to be sexual is empowering and to want to have sex is empowering and to be a slut or a whore or enjoy sex or be promiscuous was actually something that I admired in other women. So to me, like this music about, you know, bitches wanting to fuck or like whatever shit most people think is offensive to me with my story did did the opposite of what it does to a lot of people where they find it offensive to me. I found it really liberating and admirable and empowering. And so I just would play stuff that made me feel sexy and made me feel empowered. And sometimes that would even be like, guys talking about pimping or whatever like it didn't really it just moved me made me dance and then I learned over time when I would play that music the women would like it too and and the only people that I ever had to argue about my music with were ironically um men right so um the men would the two times I've gotten kicked off the stage were both from men telling me that my music was offensive to women, which is extremely ironic and also um, um, uncalled for and also they brought... They just be tone deaf. I mean, he book you, you know it's coming. Yeah, that's I mean, exactly... Well, any- but, but 10 years ago, there was... Like, trap was a thing, but people in the music scene were not playing trap. They were playing glitch hop. Right. Um, I remember trap when rap started being played at music festivals. It was like fucking the world was over. Like, just so many. Like, I remember someone who owned Function Ones didn't want the bad music, negative music coming out of their Function One. <laughs> right. They were like sonic sound system of uh, whatever um, psychedelic. Um, I don't know. Like they're, it was just like a spiritual thing I for know, them. I, I, I get that. Um, it's even hard to explain. That. I know. I, I yeah. Get it. Never been around. <laughs> the frac. They didn't want yeah. the the two short coming out yeah, as like, fractals into right. their like p- the sound sonic sounds of pe- sonic eardrums of people right. on the dance floor. Um, this kind of thing. So, I, and I I respect that also. If that's not what you believe in, and if that's something that really is offensive to you, that that that's their story. And there's this whole thing about everyone has their story, and it's a, everyone's story to me is acceptable and that's you know what unconditional love is all about and people have different stories that's what makes the world go around that's what makes us all not be robots right um but at the end of the day it does cause conflict and i've had to stand up for myself so for so long that i wish i could be where I'm at now 10 years ago because the decade of fighting for myself and for my rights 
as a woman in this industry has just, I'm done. Like I'm exhausted, you know, and I don't know what's next for me. Um, I love playing shows. I love DJing, but, um, I, I'm tired, (laughs) you know, and, um, I am really eager to produce music. I want to stay home more. Um, I love my house. It's like Disneyland. I have a lovely husband. I've got a beautiful two and a half year old now who's so much fun. I love being around him. I live in this new town in Portland. Um, after being in a small town for a long time, I'm meeting new friends, new people who inspire me, new artists. And I'm like, I just want to be home and like really dig in and just, um, explore what's internal instead of like going out to these shows and staying up all night and which I love also, but guys, come on, I'm 40, I'm almost 40 now. Okay. Like, am I going to be like 50 or 60 in a club? Like, and I know it's been done before, but I'm ready for the next thing. I get that. I mean, I'm 41. And I, I don't want to retire yet, but I, I get, like, I don't need to be out all the time. And I understand the yearning to just want to settle into community. And I don't even have a spouse or a, a child yet, but I can understand. And I, we're getting ahead. I, I wanted to kind of talk just a little bit, because one of the reasons why I asked you is because one of the intentions I set for the show was I want to have empowering, inspiring women in the music culture that are, like, doing it on their own terms, that aren't, like, puppets or aren't, like, hypersexualized or any of that. But instead, are just like yo, I, this is me. Hear me roar, like it or not. Peace, yeah, you know, yeah. nobody more than you. You know, <laughs> and you just have like you not confused with someone who has fucks to give. You know <laughs> Sorry. I mean? Well, you see how much I cry, then you might think I give some fucks. Well, that's different. <laughs> you can ask any of my friends. They're like, oh, there she is crying make, again. <laughs> you don't make excuses for yourself or like what you're doing. You're out here like and putting it out there like, hey, I survived sexual trauma, and it was through pornography that I understood how to l- reclaim that I yes. mean that's bold in itself yeah and you know there's a lot of parallels we could go down a couple different rabbit holes in terms of like women who do so perform you know like p- pornography and like are is that demeaning or are they empowering and then that's a, not a broad stroke it's some women are a prisoner to the trauma and that's why they're there and some women are overcoming the trauma and that's why they're there they might even be in the same scene Right, and it was same some with of them you. just don't even care. Right, some about it women are all. just going to get up and play whatever gets them booked, mm-hmm. and some women mm-hmm. are going to really get intentional with what they're playing, and and I, you're somewhere in the middle because you're not like super serious, you know. But at the same time, like there's a reason why you take it there and yeah. are willing to get kicked off the stage if it goes that way because it's important to you to give women and people you know probably lgbt or just anyone who's been oppressed in some sort of like told that their sexual feelings are in any way inadequate. not right or yeah. inadequate yeah um to give them the power back is a is a righteous thing and if that comes at some hurt feelings from some like om shanti cats who can't hear too short fuck them yes you know? fuck them fuck them you know? and so i suck, admire suck them then fuck them right <laughs> Yeah, it's been, uh, I mean, I even wear a hat. I don't know if you guys have seen my no ma'am hat that I wear all the time, but it's from Married with Children. Right. And it's um, Al Bundy starts a club in this basement called uh, Men Against Amazonian Masterhood. <laughs> no ma'am um, with a big cross against like the women's sign on it. And I just fucking love that hat because I go out and people just stare at me. They're like looking at the hat and looking at me and they're like, is that a woman? Or yes. Is that a a lesbian woman? Yeah. Is that like a transgender person? Maybe. And like, I just love this like 
fucking with people in that way, you know? And it's not, like, a bad fucking with or anything. It's kind of like, I love You're clowning. You're mirror up to them and, like, making them confront whatever preconceived... Yeah, like and that. then getting up as a woman and wearing the hat and then playing, like, rap music. I mean, to right. me, I get a kick out of it. I don't know. I don't care who else does, but I think it's... I think I'm very clever. Yeah. <laughs> but I also think musically, if, it, if the music sucked, then it wouldn't matter. And I think, like... I was just like thinking about on the way over and past couple of days when I knew this was coming up and listening to some of your stuff. Like you really have a fine curating. I love like, it. You just you really kind you know snob. take the best of all this awesome shit. Like you know heavy on the dancehall vibes, heavy on the fucking Oak Town hip hop, which is poorly represented for the most part. It's always Atlanta or New York or yeah. LA, but never the Bay. Um, then you have that really old school like. Er- early era dubstep that real minimalist shit i'm gonna be playing a lot of that tonight well i'm lucky that i've been doing this for so long because i have a 10 year long library so i if i don't have time to go look for new songs which lately i'm having a hard time doing um i dig deep into my library of 10 years ago and what was popular 10 years ago people think like they've never heard it before because a lot of those people weren't partying back then and that shit is fucking crazy it's so good and it's timeless so you can just break out all all those old jams and people don't even know that it's an old jam and the depth of what you do like uh because I'm, I'm a big fan of, of reggae music. More, I guess, like older reggae, but I love dancehall too. Um, but you, when I was trying to explain to Alicia like about you, I was like, like dancehall slackness. Slackness, you know, right? oh yeah, yeah it's my like, favorite. She's scratching her head, I'm like, it's just like the shit you we don't like, like to hear it, Sizzla say. Like when you're like, yes. oh, come on buddy, like that on, you know, like on fleek. You yeah. Know, is, as they say, like just really, really ugliness of the raunch. But, Super but raunchy. With, That's a good word. Yeah, but like it's like the Trina of dancehall. Yes, right? totally. But you you go there, you take that, but still don't lose any of the balls, as they say. Still, like, <laughs> really, really gutter shit. You the, know? Yeah, pussy power or right. I don't know ball power. Yeah, <laughs> whatever. I had there's this um, artist from LA. Her name is Medusa, and I had her cassette tape. And um, she has this fucking song, and I've been trying to get it from her forever because I want to remix it so bad. Um, and it's a uh, it's called the power of the p and the first line is a uh, the power of the p is mesmerizing hypnotizing when it says jump you say how high <laughs> it's like this whole song about the pussy and i think like cuz growing up in la i had such a inspiration to go into my music from that rap background from the LA rap background like so what, it was like, like freestyle Compton's fellowship or, oh, like yeah like stuff. underground Mike yeah Mike and Nine okay. um, Medusa living living, Le- oh. living legends um, which I did yeah Eli and um, and then up here it was like Souls of Mischief and Iro, um, yeah and then um, down there I, I was roommates with Jay Soul who has his own um a radio show in LA now on KCRW and he was just a vinophile and I got access to all and he had all these like MERS was always over there and um, it was just like that whole lifestyle so as a like like sort of hippied out like um, dreadlocks like underground LA rap music girl which is already weird in itself That's awesome. finding the bass music and right. never having heard it before and not only that but like instantly meeting my like partner moving into that whole world was kind of like 
this just I, it was just a perfect storm of uh, weird taste in music that would bring me to the genres that I uh, that I play. So did you find the dead through Andrew or Jordan? Oh God, no! I did not like the dead at all. I actually hated the dead um, because he's I got a big dead guy. yes, he's a huge dead we guy. Over that yes, and um, when I gave birth to my son, the only fucking music that would make my son stop crying was Jerry Garcia. It, wa- it wasn't. It <laughs> wasn't it. the Grateful Dead. It was always Jerry. Right. So we got Not for Kids Only, which was one of the best albums I've yeah, ever heard in my life. I cry. Have you heard I cry before? Yeah. I cry sometimes. Me too. Um, <laughs> and uh, there's just the, there's one song on there that I can't listen to without crying. It's just fucking beautiful. Um, and we took Johnny Ryder, my son, to his first concert, which was um, Dad and Co. at uh, the Shoreline cool. Amphitheater Shoreline. when he was Sweet. a year old. Yeah. Um, but I do remember going to the Grateful Dead before and hugging my friend super high on acid, crying, wishing for the god of Dennis Brown to come save us from this horrible music. Well, so like an actual dead show when Jerry was still alive? No, 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 no. no. It was it was Later. Dead and Co. Yeah. Okay. And I, I, w- I remember hugging her, hating the music so much, just wishing um, Dennis Brown, or was it Don? No, it was Dennis Brown. Yeah, would come down the from the sky and save us from this horrible awful Grateful Dead shit that I was listening to and then eventually I ended up liking that so I don't know that was interesting yeah. but I, I, I was praying for reggae to, yeah. to come save me that's understandable there used to be a, a big crossover between like the sort of reggae cult, reggae on the river culture and, and west coast dead culture if you will there was like a lot of the sort of crisscross that's how I got introduced to the Gregory Isaacs and Dennis Brown oh so you two, went the like, opposite old deadheads like show you liked you like Grateful Dead and then you went right. to reggae. I liked reggae and then went to yeah. Grateful Dead. Yeah, I, I was a metal guy first, and still like I was like a Slayer, you know. Oh, and, then, and and then eventually I got hit to the dead, and I saw Jerry quite a bit before he died. Oh, I was lucky. really young. Oh man. Um, and I got just turned on by my cousin and my older half sister, and they took me to a, like I saw nine show nine dead shows, one Jerry Band show, and then wow. he died when I was seventeen. Oh wow. And it was kind of like now what, and then. You know, never really plugged that hole since then. I mean, I love John Mayer didn't plug the hole for you. No, eh? no. <laughs> I'm not a. I, I'm not, not going to hate on Dead Company, know, but it just doesn't do it for me. I well, I know. I mean, I, I I'm new to that whole thing. And um, do you feel it though when you go and, and you see like all these generations and somebody like your husband who couldn't be same. further from like you know punk rock and reggae and dubstep and like everything that's decidedly undead. Yeah. And then you put him at a dead show and he's like twelve year old boy like. Right. Yes. Uh, yeah. yeah. That has got, to speak to you on some. Yeah, and and level. well, it's ironic because I have a good friend, Rodlene Getzik, and she sang with the Grateful Dead, and she would. She was one of my really good friends, and she would take me to um, John Gilmore's house, who owns Sun Microsystems and lives in Toad Hall in San Francisco, and I would hang out with Bob Weir and John Perry Barlow all the time. But I never liked the Grateful Dead, so I didn't give a shit who these right. people were, but I was hanging out with them all the time. So there's this weird, like, path I feel like I've taken also that has brought me into this family. Right. And I feel like I was, like, destined to be a part of it in some yeah. weird fucking way. Like, not just the dead family, but family. Like, a family bigger yeah. than your blood family. And the thing that I like about the Grateful Dead, which is what we were talking about earlier is that you go, you see someone with a Grateful Dead patch or button or pin on, and they will save your fucking life if you need it. They will give you the clothes off your back if you need it. Yes, and it's it's family, and you can be anywhere in the fucking world, and if someone else is wearing a Grateful Dead patch, it's like, 
you, you they will yeah family yeah. instantly and and i wish there was like a dubstep <laughs> bass music patch right. we could all wear that was universal that would be pretty sweet but uh but it's that feeling of feel- belonging everyone at the end of the day everyone wants to belong right and that's what every human wants whether they know it or not they want to feel accepted and loved and be- like they belong and i think it's our duty if we're going to be a dj i i really do think instead of isolating everyone and being a dick or being all full of yourself or being jealous and curmudgeon-y or whatever like it's your job to make people in that community feel like they belong and that's kind of where that's why i'm probably so nice that i've never made it in this business because i can't do those cut through throat like um, I just can't be cutthroat in this business. I can't be cutthroat at all, ever. It just doesn't come naturally to you. Yeah, right. and I don't have time for it. I'd rather be broke on the streets, like, with no money, you know, like, and full of love and friends and family than have all the money in the world and be a dick. Right. Which well, I see a lot in this scene. For yeah. It's really sad and fucked it up. It is. And then it sucks when the ego takes over and it corrupts all the things. And we don't have to talk about who or whatever, but we see it happen. And, you know, people that we might have admired in the past and then not so much anymore. And that yeah. sucks. Yeah. That's kind of like soul crushing. And it happened, honestly, even with the dead, as I've come to know and studying and reading. And, like, you know, they were all far from perfect. And there's some really dark underbellies to even the the Grateful Dead hippie dream. Oh, I've seen you know? it, yeah. yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, you're from California, you know, yeah. it's, it's no secret. But I just think that uh, it's a beautiful thing that brings people together, and it's like, ironically why I'm sitting here talking to you, because I talked to Andrew about the dead, he explained to me that they threw the Chinese New Year party as yes. sort of like a nod to the dead doing that, and that like melted me. I was like, dude, I will, and, that is it. And now they can't call it that anymore because right. yeah. of cultural appropriation. The same thing with Rain Dance, too. Um, there was a dead show so they started calling it rain dance because the dead used to do a rain dance too and that's a cultural appropriation now so they're reconsidering naming it that i remember when he broke it to me he's like this is going to be the last year of chinese new year and even this year there's some blowback and it's like but but like there's such history there and he's like you don't get it like people get pissed and next thing you know there's bad press and it's like i hear you but the reason i wanted to go to the 1015 for chinese new year i mean Honestly, as much as I love y'all and Dim and Saints and all that shit, mm-hmm. it was like I felt like I was replugging into that that dead history of oh, having cool. a Chinese New Year party. Oh my god, did you tell that to Andrew? Oh yeah, of course. Oh, that's awesome. yeah, yeah, he knows all about it. I was that's like amazing. blown away by it and was like I have to and I that's wrote a story awesome. I did an article about the event that year. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah, oh, that's so cool. I wanna read it. But but that's sort of what made me like realize, you know, and then I follow along on, on the social media and like the Johnny Ryder thing and Little John and knowing how like Little John saw hundreds of dead shows and you know he's oh my like, gosh he's like the guru sorry you know. to interrupt but you want to hear something fuck, fucking crazy so we um, moved to Portland we were bummed because we had put our son on all these waiting lists in Santa Cruz but we moved to Portland and of course we had to go all start over again on the waiting list we find this one and we do this interview and it's perfect not only is the owner from santa cruz but his teacher went to ucsc so she um would kind of like have that santa cruz vibe or whatever so on the application i wrote at the end of september my husband throws this festival called rain dance she sends me this text she's like i just read your application um do you know someone named little john and i was like yes 
I was like, we only named our son after him. And she was like, shut up. No way. We were on dead tour together in the 90s. And I guess like they were on tour together in the 90s and they know each other. And it's like this whole weird connection. And so we got bumped up on the guest list or on the on the the waiting list. And um, I'm so used to saying guest list as a DJ, guys. Um, And he's in the school now. But it's all because we partied together our families partied together in the 90s you know and it's that that's what i'm saying that family connection it's It's fucking we look out for each other yeah Yeah. and i hope that that's eventually extends to the greater festival community i think it will as like people start to have families and have kids and like marry other people in the community and such but you're right the dead thing beyond the music love it or hate it the community thing is special and that's something that like I was a 12-year-old, 13-year-old kid in the burbs who didn't want for anything. My parents were, like, middle class, and I didn't, you know, I wasn't struggling. But there was something missing, you know? And uh, I found my way to a dead show, and it was like, welcome to the rest of your life. That's what happened with Andrew. You know, and it was like, literally shaped who I am. Amazing. In so many profound ways, so far beyond music. So I always like to... to find people's connection to it and it's interesting that it was like the worst shit ever to you for so long and you had to take the long way around <laughs> I went the long way but here you are for sure. you know, well it's awesome. funny too because I always wear red white and blue and I'm like oh I always like the steely yeah. like even when I didn't n- know the Grateful Dead it's so and it's Americana which yeah. I'm all about America I you know my everyone always bugs me about my America thing I was and, wondering what the roots of the whole well like, um, my first my first Burning Man guys okay I'm gonna go there right now. Um, it was 2008, so it was the American Dream, and I, I had so much acid, and I lost all my friends, and I was cruising around by myself for like what seemed like days. It was probably only like 12 hours or something, but it was a pretty good period of time. And I had this just the best, like most fucking phenomenal um, acid trip. And you learned a lot about yourself in those. 12 yes, hours. <laughs> and that's when Smashless Tooth was born. It was like the stars and stripes and. Um, just the colors of red, white, and blue, and it's just like imprinted in my brain. And I went back and I was thinking, well, what else can I do that nobody's done? And I was like, I play rap music at, at bass shows and I can wear patriotic colors because everyone hates America who live in America. Right. So it was like these two things that I was doing to like fuck the system. St- yeah, yeah, to like stand out and also fuck the system and also. Um, uh, I just like I just like this I just like the aesthetic of it, and I've been wearing the same skirt and the same pants for like ten years when I DJ, and they become I don't know what I'm gonna do when these things like crumble. I actually am not wearing them tonight, but I am wearing an old uh, shirt that I got like eight years ago. But I have uniforms, right? Like I I'm I, like I'm an athlete or something, and I, I keep that. these same uniforms, and and there's all this juju and yeah. hippie sweat and like festival sweat in them and times in my life and beautiful people I love who aren't here anymore like stuck in those clothes and I still wear them so I don't know it's another interesting thing but that's kind of where the patriotic thing came from and also just feeling like America's are my little sad sick child who I love and I want it so badly to get better and to get it better you need to love it more and not walk away and that's why I wear patriotic colors. And I do believe that um, as fucked up as things are right now, um, you know, maybe Trump is here to show us the underbelly of our culture so we can address that and hopefully improve on that in the future. Then, um, without, without getting too political, I wanted to, I wanted to see where... Because I, I firmly believe that that's the reason why he became president is because uh, we were just 
numbing ourselves to what we the really reality were and trying to like pretend we but I'm not co-signing anything about him I I'm agree. just saying that we deserve him and we earn it's this. an interesting reflection and it's just my my opinion without getting super yeah political, I definitely don't want to get political talk, when you talk about patriotism uh, is is times like now are you more inclined to put the colors on and kind of like step into that part of yourself or it's is, harder is it to more nauseating um it's hard I have to really own it now um whereas before people didn't even really notice now now i'm um yeah it was my shtick and i go to the airport dressed in smashle tooth outfit and like no one would really even say anything they might look at me funny but now i feel like if i'm dressed like that like i'm gonna be super honest with you the other day i was dressed up all patriotic and i walked past a black woman and i was like does she think i'm a trump supporter right and I, that went through my head and I felt really insecure. I felt insecure being myself, you know, and I was For like, the first fuck, time in a like, while, right? yes. And I was like, maybe I have to either rethink what I'm doing or have something on me also that kind of claims my stance. Um, I have a Bernie pin on my hat, but, I, you know, I don't know if that she's not going to look at that. But it was right. the first time I ever felt insecure dressed in my uniform. Interesting. And that's and that was a new thing, and this just happened like three days ago. Something wow. like that, yeah. Gave me something to think about. Yeah, and it's important. That yeah. I think that you, like, whatever is there is is the, is the reason, like, why you're feeling that way and why you walk by that woman and stuff. And I was thinking, like, I saw that shit online where that woman got married and, like, all that crazy, obnoxious Trump rig- make regalia. Uh-huh. Like, it was like a wedding uh-huh. dress with a Make America Great Again theme. Oh, jeez. It was... Awful and hilarious and all the things, right? But I was saying, like, you shouldn't have to put that sort of, like, post those kind of bills on your, quote, uniform to convey, like, you never did before. This is, like, who you are and what you're about. And, like, no fucking dictator, president, whatever you want to call him, is going to change that. But then again, you don't want to send a message to a person of color when you walk by them that you're like, you're not on the same team. Yeah, and that's That's fucked up. It's very, and it's new. And um, I mean, and I, the reason that I love America is because I grew up here. I got married here. I fell in love here. I had a good education here. Like, you know, I had a fun, like, street education also. Um, I was able to. Um, be in the film industry in LA that was fun I'm having fun in this country like I've had fun here it's a good time. Um, and I've fallen in love and I've loved and been loved and it's like I'm not gonna turn around and just fuck you to my country you know what I mean like I have had a great experience here being born here I can't imagine what it's like for people who weren't born here um, coming here but um, that's not my story. Like I said, everyone has a story. And my story is that I choose to love America. Right. And, um, and I'm going to continue loving America until I don't love America anymore. I'm not sure what is going to happen to where I don't. But um, up till then, I'm going to just go with it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's great. It's trying to be like unpolitical and it's actually extremely political at the same time and it's, it's a, we know we're in delicate times you know I, I think about just my own adulthood like uh, I came of age like I was in New York City when the towers were hit like I was actually wow. up there Jamiroquai was having a record release party the holy shit so I was up there on oh the 10th for the record release party and woke up to like 30 blocks from the trade center oh my god and, wow. and basically got stuck in New York for three days so basically that was like when I went from 
I just had graduated college that May, so it was like I went to young adulthood then, and ever since then I've had this sort of toxic polar perception of America and am I American? Also, being you know growing up Jewish and stuff, and sort of be identifying with Israel, and then coming to realize that like Israel's a part of atrocities, and like how the fuck am I going to attach like my sense of ID to? what's going on there even though that's my family heritage and like wow. people have died there's so many conflicting things then yeah. you throw in the fact that two of my friends from college died in the trade center they were at their first wow. job they graduated college they moved to New York City and they went to and they went to work one day and they never came home yeah so I'm a white dude you probably give zero fucks about how I feel when you walk by in Patriot but like besides a person of color, just someone like me who's been so conflicted, like, I'm proud to be an American, I can only speak like this because I'm an American, we're only having this conversation and broadcasting it because we live here yeah. and without fear, at least for now, yeah. of some sort of the man coming down and smite, smoke, uh, you know, whatever the, the Fire Bible says. Right. Yeah. We don't have to worry about that because we live here. Yeah. At but at the same time, like, I've been ashamed uh, long before Trump was president. Right, right. About America. Yes. On a lot of levels. Yes. And, so when I see you portraying this patriotism, it's like a head scratcher because you <laughs> represent everything that is like double middle fingers, fuck you, establishment. Yeah. Yet there's not much more establishment in 2019 than the red, red, white, and blue. Yeah. You know, so yeah. it's just this weird dichotomy, and I'm glad you. you well, I it. think you know I am a riddle wrapped in an enigma. That's also <laughs> a big part of my personality. Like, if you look at my sign, I'm a Cancer Sun with the Gemini Moon, so I'm like kind of crazy. All like that's why I cry so much because I'm a Cancer. I'm confused as fuck and can do anything and be happy with it because I'm a Gemini. And then I have a Capricorn Rising, which is a work at strong work ethic. So I think you put all that shit together, and I'm just like a befuddled like driven disaster like a fucking train wreck not, like, right? not unlike America yeah exactly <laughs> maybe that's why I like I'm confused but I love right. myself but I'm going I don't know where I'm going but I like traveling you know it's um, it's interesting um, it's just an interesting time to be alive and I I am, am a very spiritual person um, I I do believe uh, this is my personal belief that we all pick where where we want to be born and unto what mother and unto what time. Um, and I do feel I'm here for a reason. And I feel our tribe is also here with me at this time for a reason. Not sure what is coming, but I do feel something very interesting is coming. And I'm not saying that it's bad, and I'm not saying it's good. I just think I'm it's it's. But I'm I'm sitting back watching it happen, and I'm. I can't say that I'm bored. Right. You know? At least you're, like, safely in the country, so when shit pops off, at least you got some time before they get to you. Or, I have... Well, I just learned that Portland, where I just moved, has, like, five active volcanoes, like, all right around it. So, I mean, maybe that's what I'm I'm here for, is just to fucking blow away into the ethers or something. But either way, like, I do feel I live my life with intention, and I do feel just being born, you're given intention, which is another reason... I wanted um, to chat about where I'm, I'm at right now. Um, we're doing this podcast at a dear friend from high school's uh, music studio in Oakland. Um, I've known him since I was 13, probably. Such a cool space, too. And, yeah, and he was best friends with my sister's boyfriend, who um, passed away uh, from an overdose 
um, uh, he was really into heroin and I lost my best friend from high school from heroin. And, um, recently, um, what, the reason I'm here staying with my friend is because we lost one of our other mutual friends in that same circle, um, from suicide, like about a month, two months ago. So um, that's why I am in the studio right now instead of out getting drunk at a bar with like my 50 friends who all want to see me right now because I'm here to like hold space for that. And that's why this podcast being in this room is really special to me because I am looking around and seeing some of my sister's boyfriend's guitars. Yeah, I took a picture of that, right? Oh, you did? Where where else are you going to see a Jesus sticker next to I Know Noah's by the trail? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and the stiffs, and it's just, um, you know, there's, that's the other thing we're talking about, is like, there's just a lot of, um, when you push to find yourself, there's a lot of death that happens. Yeah. You push yourself too far. And um, Kitty, my friend from high school who passed away, she was like the reason I became Smashle Tooth. She was like my fucking muse of my life. Mm. And like, I can't say she would have been my muse if she kept living. Right. Yeah, maybe in death, in death she became yeah. my like spirit animal, a kitty, right? right. Smashle Tooth Tiger. Right. This whole cat element, um, feline prowling through the darkness. Which I do through my music. Yeah. Um, and that death becomes life and life becomes death and that whole beautiful fucking thing that we're doing, the dance we're doing now. And, um, and um, that's why I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I'm not afraid about Trump. I'm not afraid about nuclear war. Like, I just have faith that I've chosen this life and I will be, um, in, I will be amused by what comes out of it. At the end of at the end of my life, when I'm sitting on a rocking chair, or if I blow up into space in some nuclear war, like I don't, I cho- I feel comfort, even if it's a story, to know that I chose that or to believe that yeah. I chose that life. Yeah, and, and you're right. There's a, a lot of good people we lost along the way, in figuring it out and quote finding ourselves, whether that's on a headful in the desert at a festival or whether that's you know, copping fucking junk on a street corner, like, and sadly no both. I do, and uh, I live to tell the tale, and I feel like a lot of those folks in my life that didn't, um, you know, that that's why I'm still here, is, is they might not be my, quote, muse, if you will, but I'm um, carrying a part of them with me, yeah. and uh, kind of doesn't just keep me right, keep me off the shit, but it also gives me some sort of, like, purpose to seek out folks like you and have this conversation and put on the air it's like how can we affect people's lives because we are doing this dance between life and death and it can all change in an instant yeah. like you want to be impactful not just make asses shake although that's awesome and that's why we show up and pay our cover but also make people think and cry yes and, and <laughs> well the, the asses shaking is rejoicing that we're alive where right. you know when you see all the sunflowers in a field looking to the sun i feel on the dance floor when all the asses are looking to the dj booth right. it's like we're happy to be alive and we're celebrating life yeah. and the more we celebrate life the more we deserve to be alive it's also a primitive urge to like hear drums and to shake ass like it's been going on for thousands of years in tribes and all kinds of different ceremonies. it's like our mating dance yeah yeah <laughs> it's all the things but what uh, we talked off the air about something that you know i want to bring up i don't want to make you too emotional but no, at the same good. time it's the moment when i was like i have to know you 
even though I took two and a half years and a whole and a friend losing a leg to actually have the conversation. <laughs> um, um, but you made a post uh, shortly into motherhood. I was like in the finally sort of at the the uh, aftermath of the ghost ship. Yeah. And you had a newborn. Yes. And you were confronting a lot. I mean, it's readily available on your social media, so I'm not like betraying your confidence to talk no, about this. But you dealt not. with substance abuse and death and feeling uh, a sort of greater sense of purpose yeah. than you ever had um, because of the loss of Johnny and sort of the symbolism there with the ghost ship and how maybe you escaped. I mean, if not that night, then sort of in general, like you got to live and mm-hmm. a lot of folks did. Right, right. And then like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah. And then also you know you've been blessed with everyone walks out the front door and wants to meet the one and then have the family mm-hmm. and like you're getting all that i know you it's met the, crazy. the guy I got feel, the son i feel like survivor's guilt sometimes. right that's, that's yeah. what i'm building towards here is like, and i that's what i got out of that post is mm-hmm. like um and, and it was really ironic that you picked this really you know dare you called it cheesy white boy reggae whatever just sort of something that you wouldn't find the depth of these thoughts and emotions that you're conveying in that music Right. on the surface level yeah um but it was sound of the sea was what it's called mm-hmm, right mm-hmm. um which is yeah. ironic because a baby being in you is there that's all they're hearing yeah. floating around in that embryonic fluid what was that whole thing a, a, like for you because like i read that post i hope our listeners like go and and i don't know if a ton of listeners a couple yeah. thousand but they want to go i'm i'm amazed that you it. ever the fact that someone I don't think anyone has ever come back and said that that meant anything to them or that they yeah. even like I just thank you I made sure that that guy Scott got the post Scott who the, from Stick Figure oh you did yeah. did he actually read it I, I gave it to someone who told me I, that I, she delivered I, it to him. I, I, I saw like him tagged in it and I was like oh my god because I got yeah. like you know I have a friend who celebrity knows fright or whatever and I was like you need to make sure this dude knows that this music reached this I mean god I can't listen that's another song other than that one Jerry song on um, Not For Kids Only there are a, a few songs I can't listen to without crying like yeah. every time it doesn't matter where I'm at if it comes on the radio and I'm partying like I just it puts me in this hole it's not bad at all it's beautiful but um, that song Sound of the Sea I was because I'm really afraid to sing and for some reason um, that song really wa- made me want to sing it to and your son? no because he wasn't born yet so, oh, you so carrying him? Uh, yeah I was two weeks to delivery and the ghost ship fire happened right. um, and ironically a friend a family f- um, tribe family friend passed away in the fire whose name was Johnny Um, I didn't know Johnny personally um, but he died in the fire and I thought it was really ironic because um, you know we're naming our son Johnny after so, John yes after John right. um, who's also a DJ and um, so this so- song I started listening to it a lot because I wanted to learn all the words so I could sing it to my son and when I was listening to it um, it talks about um, um, I can't ugh, I have to hold my tears um, <laughs> um, it talks that. about going home and um um, you want to go back to where you come from. And so I felt like I was in the middle of a circle of life where I had all these, all these 
people, I, I know a dear friend, um, Audrey, who escaped that fire by, you know, with her life, ba- barely with her life. Um, all these people were dying and then there are people being born and it was this music, the song Sound of the Sea and it was all about returning to your home and and in the song there's this part where it's like uh, you want to see their face and I felt like I had seen my son before and I missed him so badly and he was finally coming to me um, he was finally I was finally about to see this face that I hadn't seen in so like you know fucking whatever happens to us before we come here Right. And um, I was finally just about to see him. And when I was just about to see him, all these people passed that like, so it was hard to um, celebrate new life when this all these old, grief. yeah, wave of grief right into new life. But also that was like the fucking circle of life right. and it was the beauty of life. And it, and Taylor, um, um, Taylor from made fresh crew and uh, Santa Cruz came to our house and painted this beautiful mural beautiful fucking mural he spent three days on it with three other friends so there were all these people in our house painting this gorgeous mural and um there was a tiger sitting in a pot field and a ocean with a pirate ship on it and there's an island in the middle with all these like clown noses (laughs) on mac dre was coming out of the treasure chest and um but he painted the ghost ship in the mural and i was like fuck like I have to nurse my I've never been a mom before I have to nurse my baby and look at death like staring me in the face but this song kind of made it like like okay to to celebrate life um and just and it was okay to celebrate the circle of life and this passing and this rebirth and celebration of just wanting to be here on this planet but also knowing there's some place we go and there's some place we come from which is home and I do feel on this planet very far away from that and I felt the people who had just passed and my son coming into life were closer to home than I was and and then you add the element of not being able to sing and picking that song as the song you're going to sing to your child, to your baby, as a lullaby. And it just becoming this whole, like, um, fighting your fear of singing, first of all, on a bass level, um, fighting your fear of death, fighting your fear of birth. Like, yeah. what if something goes wrong? He, actually, something did go wrong. He had to get, after 21 hours of labor, he had to get vacuumed out part of my vagina fell off literally like fell onto the hospital floor um it was i burst both my blood my blood vessels in my eyes um from trying to get him out of there and they ended up they almost went into emergency c-section but they got they actually ended up pulling him out with the vacuum and it was without painkillers by the way because i thought it was going to be very heroic and not do painkillers which i think was not the best move ever but um all that being said, de- birth is death sometimes, and death is birth sometimes, and we're all in the fucking middle of it, and um, I'm here for the ride, and that song, just all the lyrics and the just beauty of the song, the melody of the song, um, the, the song about the sea and the ghost ship, um, sw- you know, swimming through the sea of life, and um, all these people that had just passed, I mean, it, it's just, it just is a profound healing song for me, almost like an Akaro yeah it's like it's uh and it and that's my story like i said other people and it's funny because my husband doesn't like white boy reggae music 
so he he's like oh god stick figure like turn that stick figure off so when I wrote about cheesy white boy reggae it was because I'm almost embarrassed because my husband has really good taste in music and he like particularly reggae yeah Yeah, particularly reggae and he does not like me listening to or he doesn't like listening to that kind of music so yeah it was um, a profound healing song really amazing poem. what you communicated in that piece of and I'm a writer you know so it's like yeah it really was so powerful that uh, like I said I've, I've returned to it again oh, it like, several times um, and I just thought it, it it helped uncover a whole lot of like human shit you know like like all the stuff you discussed with death and life and the cycle and I mean I don't know you but uh, I think it's safe to say like nothing you do is like gentle or easy or, like it's always a hurricane or a, like just like a, a tidal wave and of <laughs> course your first kid was going to be that physically and then all the emotional stuff coming with it and, and I just thought you really um, conveyed that in such a way that I felt like I knew you after reading that and Thank I felt you. like um, it made me like want to sort of explore more of who you were as an artist knowing that like that's what your heart was about oh thank you so much that really means a lot to me yeah yeah um the other thing about my son too and i couldn't understand it um at the time but we had this owl connection and um i got my reiki attunement once and i told my reiki master um i was like i saw this vision of this owl and he's like you can't have owls it's bad it's native you know native americans say it brings death it's a bad omen and i was like what do you mean i can't have owls that's what i saw in my vision like you can't tell me i didn't see something that i saw and uh the two days before he was born johnny Ryder was born um i was out for a walk with our with my doula and this huge like five foot wingspan owl flew right over our fucking heads and like away into the forest and i was like holy shit and i was like my reiki master's talking about death spirits and the fire ship it just happened the ghost ship just happened and it was just like but it was beautiful it was like this is right and this feels right and like you know once again i was reminded of my reiki master who i also had to fight with for my spiritual right to believe in what i believed in and um you know i just really and my kid loves owls he's he has like five owl puppets and is always talking to these owls before he goes to bed at night um looking out of the window and stuff and so that's not something that i made up or made him believe or something it just is like it is that and it's cool to think that it would just be like a a happenstance or an accident but it's it's, no, it's bigger obviously than bigger than that yeah and that's something that you can't there's no way you can make that happen it just has to happen whether it's the flyover or johnny being into it it's like you can't make you can't sort of design that it yeah. just is yeah and that's that's what lets you know that there's like bigger shit in this universe than us oh and the ghost ship happening and then yeah. jo- johnny passing away in the ghost ship and giving birth to a johnny like yeah. you know just a few days later i mean what a fucking it was really heavy what there's a trip a, there dude. was an article about that johnny that passed okay in one of whether it was sf gate or it might have been the oakland paper but I, there were because they've they've like done a expose or feature on almost everybody who was whose family would participate enough to allow it to happen yeah there's been a series of them and i think you even won a pulitzer wow uh, oh my god paper the oakland paper for the coverage of is it up for individuals or or it actually won the pulitzer for its coverage of the ghost ship period so the individuals the legal side of it the you know they did an interview with a couple of the guys that were locked up behind it yeah right wow 
And I had just kind of gotten to this community, and mm-hmm. I'd been to a bunch of parties out here, but never there. Yeah. I've been invited there once, but never actually went there. It's not anything I could get close to or, like, understand, but at the same time, it's just a member of the music community, the art community, and the grief and the pain and the depths of the despair. I'll never forget it. Yeah, me neither. You know? Yeah, it was definitely stamped into a lot of our lives. Yeah, it was a rude awakening on so many Yeah, so many I, But you know what's crazy? Because John Perry Barlow actually posted some comment about it. Um, was John, John Perry Barlow has passed um, since then also. Yeah. But um, that look around at all the dark art that was there. The dark art, you know, um, is calling in darkness. Yeah. You know, it, it's just like we were talking about, like, dancing to music. It's like you want to put out, like, a light, a, a joy of being alive. If you fixate on death too much, whether it be through drugs or through depression or through art or through music, like, it can bring you there. It's like a, it's a sure. signal that you show to whatever you put your energy into, you're going to receive back. And yeah. I believe that, too. So having it be such a place of dark art was kind of, and it, that's what John Perry Barlow said. I thought that was kind of interesting. I'm not sure I'm totally on board with that, but I thought it was an interesting insight. I mean, it definitely what happened. is a fair assessment. I think specifically with him, I mean, he's lived through like a, a whole lot of cycles of the psychedelic community and, and stuff that's yeah. happened going back to the halcyon days of the hate Ashbury all the way up through, you know, him passing away in the past year and a half or whatever. And, yeah. And he, I didn't know until I got out here that he was so interwoven in like the in the proto burner community too. Yeah. Besides the fact that he wrote all the weird lyrics and dead songs. Yeah. You know, so he's a special guy. Yeah. But I want to finish up with something that when I think of you, I think of Mac Dre. You know, <laughs> so I'm from the East Coast, and it's you know in the deified hip hop cat is Biggie, and then like of course. of course West Coast you think of Tupac. Tupac. Yeah. Right. But near where I live, when I go for a little walk around the lake, there's a giant, huge depiction of Mac Dre. And I knew about him. Obviously, I'm a hip-hop head. So I knew about him because my boy moved out here in 2003, and he was like, there's two Dre's you need to know about, and neither of them are Dr. Dre. Andre Nicotina and and, uh, Mac Dre. Yeah. And he just put me on game, like, way back then. So I was aware of him, and then I knew that he had passed, tragically. But it wasn't until I got introduced to Smashletooth that I really understood like the depth of this dude's influence so much beyond just like i would i would inspire that out of all people well to like a music historian like me like i need to know more because this girl's you know you're waving the fizz flag yeah (laughs) it's like wow what about him and then like that dove oh don't get me started no that's the last thing we're gonna talk about yeah no i love it well no you do want to get me started made it um well i mean i could start at the beginning so i was living in la when mac dre died i never even knew about hyphy music to be quite honest um i was a late bloomer in my whole life and um when i came back and met Andrew and got into the whole bass scene. I went to my girlfriend's house and I heard like the most amazing one of the, there were two times I remember this happening in my life. One was the first time I heard Sizzla where I leaned out of someone's car and I was like, what is that music? It like blew my goddamn mind. Yeah. I never heard anything that good in my fucking life. And you I was like, what the song was I, um, no, you know, I've been trying to find it. It's some like B side dance hall song that I never heard again since that fucking, I bought the album at that time. Um, and I lost it and I don't remember the album now cause he's got like 50 albums right, or something, right. but well, um, I was figuring 
Is I need I need to get the anthology and look through the whole thing because I it, it was one specific song and if I heard it I would know what it was but I've since lost it in translation and it actually bugs me because I think about what a fucking sick song that would be. Anyway, so Sizzla like literally diving out of my car to figure out what the hell that music was because it was the best shit I ever heard and the same thing with um, Mac Dre's Hyphy like where he sings with Doobie um, who's in prison now probably forever unfortunately. Um, they do a really good job at getting those guys uh, put behind bars, but um, really sad. But um, yeah, so it was Hyphy Like by Mac Dre and Doobie, and it was the same like aha moment, like what the fuck is this music is the best shit I've ever heard in my life, and I just went straight into Mac Dre land. But this was after he had died already. Not a lot of people know that about me. I'm kind of like when we first started this podcast, you're like, what part of Oakland are we in? I'm like, I live in Santa Cruz. I don't know what part of Oakland right. I'm in. So there's this part of me that doesn't want to like front, like I'm some big Mac Dre expert and went to all of his shows when he was here. And that I even knew who the fuck he was back then. Like I didn't know who he was. So when I heard Mac Dre, I had heard it for the first time. So all I wanted to do when I went out to DJ was DJ Mac Dre songs. And I remember playing at emissions festival, like the first or second emissions festival ever. And this guy, I finished my set. All everyone was dancing. All the people loved it, whatever. This one guy was like, why would I pay all this money to come all the way to this festival and listen to a bunch of rap music that I've been listening to for 10 fucking years that I could listen to on KML on the radio back at home. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, that was the first time I ever got that response where he was like, I listen to this shit all the time. I came all the way out here to listen to electronic music, and now you're playing me shit I've listened to on KML or the old Mac Dre songs. But to me, that music was new. Right. Like, I had never heard it before. Like, I, I, I did grow up in the Bay. I, I do remember I owned Two Shorts' first album when I was, like, in the third grade. I remember listening to it with my friend in the third grade in her living room. So I was listening to Two Short, but I never got into Mac Dre. And um, when I first heard him, not only was I amazed by his the instrumentals, which are phenomenal, but also Did his... Did he do a lot of the production, too? No, he didn't. Okay. Um, I can't remember the name of the guy. Actually, the guy that made a bunch of his music just passed away um, recently. But um, his lyrics are the most insanely fucking just eloquent, just dopest, just freshest, funniest, realist lyrics that I think Biggie and Tupac can't even top put together, right. honestly. Like, And the other thing is what he did was he brought ecstasy and thiz pills um, and mushrooms and acid into the hip hop community and so you see all these like badass gangsters trying to be all tough and hard like Tupac or Biggie right. and then all of a sudden they're wearing like these huge sunglasses and like these silly hats and like blowing bubbles and like you know getting stupid on the dance floor and doing the bird like a nerd and he was okay with being a nerd right. and so i was like oh my god i found my spirit animal because it's this guy who is a self-proclaimed nerd um and and a clown and um really uses humor as a healing tool and um one of my girlfriends would always say thugs need hugs <laughs> You know, thugs, thugs need hugs, too. And I do feel that Mac Dre brought hugs to the thugs. Yeah, yeah. He definitely was the first cat. Before people were rapping about Molly and shit, he was, you know, bringing pressed ecstasy pills to the party. Yes, sure. to the party. And, and people were just happy again right. and felt safe. And um, you could see it in all the videos. Um, well, there was all that 
in the culture of hip hop back then, it was like this East Coast West Coast schism, mm-hmm. and then there was this whole like puffy shiny suit thing happening. I'm in Philly. I'm you know I'm a, I love the Roots, and then I love like Andre 3000. So I'm like a not I can't really uh, subscribe to that sort of jiggy shit, and I'm not a gangbanger. Yeah, you know, and uh, so as a white dude from the burbs if it was like not the beastie boys it was like hard for me to plug in and ironically all these years later it's like a guy like mac dre brought this sort of psychedelic fun loving shit to hip-hop almost like a forget too short it's almost like digital underground that sort of like fun let's put on some costumes and some funky clothes and shake it out um without a care but it still made you think yeah and there's he a has lot of some, depth to the lyrics so i mean he has one song um life's a bitch if you listen to it um i've tried to play it at parties before but people are just really not into it um just all about the struggles of black people in this society and you listen to it and he talks about everything that happened to him in his life why he got arrested for no reason why all his friends are in jail why he raps about um offensive stuff he says i spit vengeance violence and hatred because underneath there's so much pain and this is a lyric that i've used to defend my music very often i'm like people are like why is this music violent why are you playing this violent music why are you playing music that's offensive to women i'm like well because i i i i spit pain because i have pain like it's like how else do and that's alchemy that's that's the beauty of music that's turning something that makes you feel sick and gross and nasty and unworthy into something that you can that makes you feel like you belong and that you own ultimately and i think mac dre was like rasputin he's a fucking alchemist he was an amazing lyrical genius he knew how to turn pain into happy hyphy music right but sadly the streets took him yeah yeah and yeah the streets did and they and i'm lucky i don't have to deal with that i mean lucky is an understatement like i and i feel like an imposter a lot of the times like i i i went into a hair cutting place to give my son his first haircut in portland and the people cutting the hair with only people in all of portland since i moved there that knew what this ta- my tattoo was right. they're like what that's mac dre oh my god and that's another thing like a family like a it's tribe like a, it's like a, it's like a mac face. dre tribe right. you know yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah. a steal your face right. it's a mac dre face it's right. a th- it's well, a fizz saying, that, face. That's exactly what it, it was. It's, it's like kindred it's spirits. Signature. It's like, I it's know a, you. Exactly. I don't know you, but I know you. Yes, it's yeah. the Cigna. It's, it was really profound, um, you know, and I I know I'm a white girl repping Mac Dre. I actually had made some Mac Dre remixes that um, Mac Dre's label found out about and tried to, like, hustle me for all this money just to release songs that I wasn't even going to charge anybody for and I've also had a struggle with that I'm like you would would Mac Dre want me to not put this song out which is it's a really good fucking song by the way um or like do you think he would want me to like rep him and put this fucking song out and at the end of the day I can't put the song out because his estate wants money from it right and that's where I'm that's where I'm just getting tired I'm getting exhausted dealing with Babylon in that way where I can't I can't praise art the way that I want to without having some ego or some money stapled onto it you know I know Mac Dre would be bummed yeah definitely um, I made actually this is another funny story the Jacka when the Jacka passed um, I was super pregnant too this was like right before the ghost ship 
and I <laughs> went to go make an Elliot Smith remix, yeah. and it turned out to be a Jacka tribute. <laughs> I don't even know how that happened, but I was listening to this Elliot Smith song all the time, and then and then and That's then I was. What you were listening when you were pregnant was Elliot Smith. Yeah. Was, no one is dark. <laughs> you know? I mean, I got a lot of respect for him, rest in peace, but that's not. Uh, uplifting. Music. Well, it's no, it's not, but it is. Rose Parade is pretty uplifting, in my opinion. Well, I just meant when I think of him, I just think of his story, and his music is really like melancholy. It's so nature. melancholy. Right. Um, but somehow this this Elliot Smith thing, yes, brilliant. Yeah, this Elliot Smith uh, remix I was gonna do turned into a Jacka tribute, so that's on my SoundCloud. Right on. Too, and it's not even a song that anyone would want to dance to. It's just a uh, a piece about my feelings of it um and i'm really proud of it just in the way that it moves moves me not in the way that it would be on an album and everyone want to buy it and download it and dance to it that's not what my intention was it's more of like a feeling it's like a sound project or um a sound healing project um so yeah, that that might be worth checking out if you haven't listened yeah, to it. I would love to. That also that song makes me cry. Like if I can even make a song that makes myself cry, then I probably have done a good right. job making the track. I cry in music all the time. So <laughs> I'll be the judge of that. Yeah. Okay. It. Good. Well, I wanted to. Uh, you know, first of all, about the Mac Dre thing, it's unfortunate, and I I, I see how that can be frustrating. How you like, just want to do a tribute and like continue to like have the effect that you did on me where it's like oh he's just another rapper that died and then like wow smash the tooth about it about it i better check this out and now i'm a fan of of mac dre I primarily because you drove me to the party i you love know? it and, and so if the <laughs> people that are in control I, of the estate uh yeah exactly <laughs> the yeah um and i feel like if if the people but understand and i'm sure you know this that the people that are in charge of his estate and his music are really tired of like people in the community just taking some lyric he laid down for a bag of money oh, one day totally and then like turning into the song and then and stealing then, it right yeah and, and, and they're and used to that all day right. so they're not you're seeing absolutely you right as this fan they're seeing you as just another person and, that's trying and that to really you're right commodify and that that's unfortunate but they're conditioned to that so i'm not don't want to demonize them for putting the kibosh on your song because it probably comes from a place where they're protecting him. You know, you're absolutely right, and I should have already said that as a disclaimer, so well, thank you I for saying it. I think it. you know it already. I do know. I know yeah. everything about it. I know exactly why. I actually admire these guys. Right. I, I look up to them. I, I've, I've talked to them. They, they're very, really respectful to me on the phone. They're not mean to me at all. They're all business. Right. And um, and I have heard of them. Uh, my, my friend made a t-shirt with Mac Dre's image on it, and they went after them like a pit bull. And um, I do see it because I mean, everyone's Fish doing that, that all the time. Still. Fish has more money than they know what to do with. But you put Trey's face on a shirt, he's coming for you. Yeah. Because like, where right. do you draw the line? But, like, I mean, but Mac Trey, those people don't have, I mean, I'm sure they're well enough to do, but they aren't like Fish, probably. Right. They, you know what I mean? They, they need right. to protect the estate. Right. So I, I totally understand that. And I respect, I respect it fully. Um, it just bums me out because I wasn't trying to be that guy. Yeah, of course. But not. they don't know how to discern that, and that's fine. And that's fair. Yeah. Well, I want to finish with two things. One, uh, well, I was going to finish with Mac Dre. We're at an hour ten. You got ten more minutes? Sure, yeah. Um, but I, you mentioned about being exhausted, and you referenced it with the whole Mac Dre thing, but in the beginning of the interview, you talked a bigger picture about being exhausted. Yes. Of the, the battles that you've had as a woman in the industry, what you've had to overcome, and then what you've kind of learned from motherhood, and what you want out of life now, and all that stuff. So I want to know, when you got you got you kicked the door down in 08, like I'm here, semester two, hear me roar, and now we're talking in 2019, you got a little one, 
you're married yeah. as a culture as a woman you know uh as a culture as I, like i said i want to sit down and talk to in, in, inspiring women for the podcast and doing it and i want to i want the straight dope like are we better like do you feel as a woman that uh the you that stepped into the the ring in 08 like if you were to just show up in 2019 are the conditions better for a woman in the in the music culture oh my god the, forget the the culture at large yeah just in our little sector of the world uh was it better then is it better now are we improving are we devolving i mean Fuck, that did me too really help did it not that's a really I'm good question. I'm asking all the women that come on the show. Yeah, I'm not putting no, you on the I no, I love that question. It's, I mean, it has a lot of layers. I mean, and you can look at it two different ways. I like to think that uh, coming in now with the Me Too movement, that I would be a lot more respected. I also feel like it's a, it's like affirmative action. Like now, people expect to have females at um, at shows and music festivals. I actually have heard in the past. Um, I'm not going to this festival because there's no women on it. And then someone responds, oh, actually, there's Smashle Tooth and this other person and this other person. So sometimes people just don't do their research right. first. Um, but seriously, three three artists, uh, four, 40 artists. Yeah. Um, but also, you know, this is a male-dominated industry. Um, it is the way that it's always been. I think there's something um, about... Um, you know, the technicalities of it and having to learn this machinery is kind of like a traditionally male oriented profession um, where you have to learn, learn compute, like how equipment works and, um, and really dig into it. You also, it costs a lot of money to have, yeah. uh, to be a DJ. It costs a lot of money to have those turntables. Um, like I always wanted turntables. I had a record collection. I used to work at JK sound in San Francisco. I worked at California sound and lighting in San Diego and I had a record collection, but I could never afford the actual turntables. Yeah, it was like so Technic 1200s were so never I cheap. So I, when I got with Andrew, so this is like the crux about the whole men helping women thing is like I needed those that equipment. I didn't, I wasn't with him for that, you know, yeah. but it was like an added bonus. That, oh, hey, I got all this shit now I could practice on. Right. Um, I really think it's important um, to to educate other women about how to do stuff and also educate them on how to do stuff without relying on dudes. Yeah. Dudes or just expensive equipment right. um, or dudes with expensive equipment. <laughs> um, and um, something is a really primitive thing in its core essence. It's just two tables and a mixer. Right. You, you want to have nice shit, but at the end of the day, you can learn on what you got. On virtual DJ yeah. or, I mean, but you do kind of need a piece of um, computer equipment sure. uh, of some something. kind of something. And I really like to find a way of getting, around that um, my passion um, and I've been um, I, I started uh, producer social in Santa Cruz which was started by Stefan Jacobs um, in LA so I started the Santa Cruz chapter and I really like to start a Portland chapter but the problem that I keep running into is all the women that I want to teach how to DJ who have a great sense of music style and I know they do because they keep sending me tracks and I'm like holy shit like I want you to DJ for me like I just want them to DJ out of selfish reasons they can't afford music equipment right so um I want I would really like to find a way around that um and also um I think just like politics try to break up the people um that are actually on the same front fighting for the same things I think a lot of women tend to get really jealous 
And um, instead of coming together and creating together, they fight with each other and they're jealous of each other. And I've been, I can't say that I'm completely um, innocent of not ever doing that. Um, Yeah, it's it's competitive competition and, um, you know, primal wanting to get on the stage and all these things. Um, And I think it's really important that the women stick together. I think we're in an environment now where it's even more accepted that women stick together as DJs and producers, um, where they support each other. I think before it was kind of more, felt more of like clamoring over each other or like fighting each other or not supporting each other. And I feel like there's more of a oneness now, maybe from the Me Too movement. And so that's really exciting. But I think um, the lack of money, um, the the jealousy, and, um, I mean, other than those two things, I think we're on a better playing field at this point, but I can't say that I don't want to play like one of the boys. Right. I don't want to be, I've never liked all women lineups. I, I always thought that was really offensive. It was just contrived. Be- yeah. Of. Because most of the time, honestly, men are throwing the parties right. and making the money from that shtick. And then second of all, I don't want to be slotted with a bunch of women just because we all have vaginas. I want to be a good DJ. Because you're dope. Because I'm sick as a DJ. I don't give a shit if you have a penis or a vagina. Like, I want that good time slot. I don't want it because I have a vagina. So um, there's that kind of backpedaling, too, that's happening right now where I feel sometimes I just get booked because... I have a vagina and I'm better than most of the guys DJing out there lately. And I really do believe that. I would say <laughs> that's, you that's are another a, story. A good top tier for sure. And you're, and you approach it. I, there's nothing that I can't stand more than, uh, the press play Ableton, like just sort of not a turntablist or not a selective, but just, okay, I've got my set ready. I got it on a, a whatever little disc drive. I'm going to plug it in. I'm going to drag and drop. No, like you may not be on turntables, but you're turntablist. You're yeah. you're rocking the party as such. Right. And and you, whether you're digital or not, you both and Andrew too. Uh, you guys are the old school blueprint <laughs> of a selector. So so you much know? so that we're annoying people because like come to the party like tonight with like my old gear from like eight years ago, and I'm just like this is what I'm playing on. And the reason I play on this old gear is because I have access to my entire music right. library. And it's an aesthetic too. It's like yours. You don't need to be the fucking brand new shit. And that's not who you are anyway. I like that. Right? Yeah, so well, that's like, interesting. I, I like that you said it like that because I think I'm slack, lagging or lacking in this like virtuous new technology that everyone's on. Yeah. Um, but what works for me works for me, and if you don't like it, don't book me. Yeah, kind of thing. You know, there you have it. <laughs> I, I, that's a great note to walk off on, but I always am one too many. So that's I'm gonna okay. Go one more. <laughs> we were talking a moment ago before we talked about Mac Dre. You said before that it was Sizzla, right? So I also had a come to Ja, come to Jesus thing with SZA. Both SZA and Anthony B at the same time. Yes, um, so good. When I was like 18, 19, went away to college, had no idea about that music. I obviously knew like Bob Marley and Black Uhuru and Steel Pulse, but I didn't know about Bobo. You know, I didn't know about that sort of one foot in Rasta, one foot in the dance hall thing. And SZA's like my dude. And through it all... Yeah, but I'm conflicted, and like my mm. my uh, my partner who enjoys a lot of SZA songs, we can't we can't hang uh, his can't support him in the home. We can't. Ha- I have this amazing poster of of, of him, and we oh, can't. Oh, goosebumps right? again! Because 
when like the beginning of this interview you talked about uh, people can't peg you are you a lesbian are you not are you, uh, you have this androgynous thing that is a part of who you are that the, the no ma'am and like Sizzler don't play that yeah no not, not even a little bit and yes. he'll tell you why and it's offensive like right. forget the bitch trap music offensive this is another level of hatred yes wishing death upon people yes and it's hard to rationalize that with these with the you know black woman and child yeah and and, and just the beautiful heart filling hymn gospel nature oh, of SZA's music okay and and this is the conversation i'm having with my are partner we, i'm having in the community right you know yes. like how do you walk that how do you I take it completely objectively. This is his religion and Rastafarian religion. Um, if two males come together, they are not able to procreate. Rastafarians are all about procreation and procreating life. They're not about science. That's their religion. They're not going to go test tubing to make a baby. If they, if gay people take over the world, they're dead. This is what they sing about. It's not what I personally believe, because I believe in science. Um, I believe in love of whoever you want right. to love. For him, his religion states the opposite of that. And I have to respect that. I wasn't raised yeah. that way. I, I wasn't born there. All us white people hating on that weren't born in fucking Jamaica. You'd be the same right. way if you lived in Jamaica. Probably. So... Right. I, I take a step back. Um, I hope and I, I think and I've seen that he might be thinking otherwise. And maybe he's said a couple things publicly that like make a, like that he's kind of thinking about accepting the no, gay community. No, that's just to acquiesce so that he can get a visa to perform. I oh. mean, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't want to put words in his mouth, but that, yeah. that's how it's. I mean, I, who knows? I want to wave the flag. Like, okay. I love him on a really deep, profound level. So much that I search for what you're describing here. Like, how do I rationalize this to myself? How do I look I, my gay friends in the eye when I've got a post, a framed actually, picture of I him on my friend, wall? Actually, I have a friend, Peta, who dances, who's gay, who takes um, Bati Boy music and dances to it in a sexual way. He loves Sizzla. Right. He dances to it. He's like, fuck you. I love your music. I'm still, I'm going to get gay to your music. And it's another kind of alchemy. Right. You know? And it's how do you want to approach it? Do you want to tit for tat and hate on hate? Or do you want to love the hate uh, that he has? Or do you want to dance and fucking freak and be gay to the hate? There's all these different ways that you can look at it. How I look at it, I love Sizzla. I don't care if you don't like that I love Sizzla. I'm going to wave the Sizzla flag. I wave it and I and maybe it's a, a fallback like that. I, I, I just blame or whatever his, his religion for no, his personal fair. beliefs. But I d wasn't born in Jamaica. He wasn't born in Oakland. He wasn't raised with gay aunts and gay uncles and gay parents. Right. Also, if he claims that gay being gay is okay, he loses his com he loses his career and his he's all and his community and it's like he's almost kind of held up at gunpoint even if he's into it he can't ever say that he is because he'll lose his right. entire everything that he, he his his tribe yeah. his tribe will kick him out if right. you imagine him going to base shows but their dance hall shows in jamaica you know and someone's like it's not okay to be gay there and he's like i'm gay or i uh, like gay to be gay is okay right. he gets kicked out of his community and it's like not fair for us to like be raised in this white ass fucking place and think that it's okay to not accept people from other cultures and religions
I'm, I, I can accept it in terms of like I understand what you're telling me here um, and I guess what the way it's been put to me is like okay so respecting it and like supporting it and putting it on the stereo and putting it on your wall and putting it in your sets is a lot different than acknowledging his right to hate and, and wish vitriol on uh, gay folks and um, well to him it's death death right you know and and to me that's just he doesn't have sh- test tubes and right. I get that things I'm just there. saying like so it's hard for me it's just hard for me to write and I wanted to ask someone who f- felt passionately about it how do you ra- how do you make it work because I'm struggling with it because mm-hmm. I love his music on a really deep deep level and I also uh, and, and that goes for to a lesser extent Capleton Anthony B yeah you know that whole Bobo Shanti militant the music militant, that comes out totally. of that out of that culture is second to none in the reggae world. It's survival. It's yeah. that root chakra. It's that primal yeah. birth fucking red chakra of procreating and creating life yeah. forever and ever and ever. And it's supposed to be self-sustainable. And it is righteous when it gets to that point. I get that. I it, think they're going to be up for a sad um, view on life when they see how science and technology is really infiltrating the humanity just as a whole. Um, that you know that gay people can make babies I think when they can wrap their brains around that then maybe they won't be praising like they are you know yeah I I guess you know at the end of the day like like a guy like Buju disavows everything and and, but at the same time like the song he's most known for is is the the gay bashing song with Mm -hmm. boom bye bye right And, and I as a youth and you know champion boom bye bye oh i love that shit but i didn't really know what i was championing right you know i just was like this shit is ill and it makes <laughs> me feel some type of way and, but i had to confront that with sizzla interesting and, and my issue with it is that i would stand back and be like you know what that's his right and i'm going to sing the lyrics that i enjoy and i'm going to stay away from this the, the slackness i can deal trying. with yeah it's the it's, the it's the it's the really the dark, anti, yeah, anti-gay stuff. Yeah. But then when I see what that empowers people to do in Jamaica, oh. like the way they hurt gay yeah. people and like they live in fear, you know, um, it's hard. Those songs then take a different meaning. Yeah, like you're participating in that Correct. violence. And yeah. so that's what I struggle with as well, a fan of Sizzla. It's interesting because I went to Reggae on the River last time. I went to both I went to every time that he played at Reggae on the River. Reggae on the River was my first festival. Um, and I was pregnant. I was seven months pregnant. And he sang nine months. Um, Thank you, Mama. Yeah. Thank you, Mama, for the nine months you carried me through song. all the pain yeah. and the suffering. That was my story and my experience that I felt a profound healing from that sure. song when I was pregnant dancing to Sizzla. It doesn't have to be someone else's story. You know, someone else's story is that you can't listen to him because he's offensive or um, but that's incredibly the homophobic. That's like for the darkness, like the light where you're talking about procreation. Like, so if he's going to be wishing death upon gays, like the other side of that is like, thank you, mama, for like trusting in the universal plan yes. of the creator and why we're here. Yes. And, and you're entitled to get that out of it. And you should. Especially since you're acknowledging that there's the other side of the coin. Too. Yes, and I do see that, and it is because I feel like you're a champion of of love, of like be yourself uh, and fuck who you want, and like I've gotten, um, I've not, I've gotten um, um, 86 from playing certain parties because I like Sizzla. There are right. certain people that won't book me ever again because I I have advocated for Sizzla 
Yeah. So that's another part of this whole dance that we're doing as musicians yeah. is the politics. I didn't sign up for the politics, but I sign up for what I love and what I believe in and what my and my story. Um, my story is my story and no one can take that from me. I don't care if you're black or white or gay or straight or anything. I like what I like and right. I'm gonna like it till I die. And if you don't like that, suck a dick. <laughs> there, that's a perfect one to end on right there. Uh, the <laughs> attitude in a nutshell and who you are and what you're about. And hopefully some folks that are struggling with this sort of thing with, with Sizzla or just culture in general yeah. will just take some sort of solace and understand you're not alone. You're not alone. I'm not alone. Like this is a, this is a two-sided coin and it's okay to, to like it and it's okay to, you know, I not like it it's okay to be not, different from each right. other that's what makes the world and go around agree to disagree and all that yeah stuff. hopefully yeah. agree to disagree yeah. well it depends who you ask right <laughs> <laughs> cool well I'm yeah. excited to dance tonight Yay. and for our friend Greg I'm so excited to play yeah it's gonna be such great. an honor yeah I mean he's a special dude I've never met him yeah yeah. Well, he's a big fan of yours I'm, I'm so this is what the music's all about is yeah. I feel so honored that I could go make raise money for someone who lost his leg who I've yeah. never even met before like what a gift that is yeah. for me to get to do that he's a good he's a good egg you know what's funny is we're doing a fundraiser for him and he donated to my dog's fundraiser yeah. which I was like you're not supposed to I'm supposed to be giving you money you're right. not supposed to be giving me money and he was the first person to donate my dog's having surgery next week and he do he donated money to me yeah. so that goes to show what goes around comes around yeah he's got a big heart and the leg is badass the prosthetic leg is a super <laughs> badass piece of machinery you'll see it in action today <laughs> awesome right. well I want to say thanks for taking yeah. the time this was a good chat thank Even you better than I thought awesome yeah. Thank you so, so much Betty for having Bird. me. Check out Smashal Tooth on SoundCloud. Best way to find you, right? Yes. Cool. Yeah. yeah, your page is awesome. Lots of great mixes. I love the uh, Immaculate Deception. Yes. Uh, and uh, Duddy Wine. Duddy Wine is my favorite and, one. And even You're the Cock, if I'm in the right mood. That's a good one. Yeah, there you go. Awesome. Feeling raunchy. Right. Cool. Well, we'll see you tonight. This is the Up for Life podcast with Smashal Tooth. I'm your host, B. Getz, and we'll see you next time. Thank you for coming all over my face. Ashley 
Smash Little Tooth for coming on the Up For Life podcast and dropping in for such a just really warm and engaging and introspective powwow on so many topics. I hope to have more of that kind of conversation on this program moving forward. Uh, Leland River dropped this Portishead remix uh, Camp Question Mark at like 5.48am Sunday morning. I have no idea whose actual Portishead remix it is, but it is like absolute perfection. So if I knew where it was or could pull the whole track, it would be the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week. But uh, this other track that will be and is the Vibe Junkie Jam of the Week is called uh, Dirty Daddy. Uh, Originally by Great Dane, but I'm going to go with the Oak remix. Oak, O-A-K-K, all caps, is is just this cat with the magic touch. I was talking to the person the other day on, online just about how enamored with Oak I am. I have no idea who he is. I've, I could He could walk by me and I'd have no idea. But I've been hype on this dude. He's from the British Columbia, you know, Canadian part of the whole base coast Shambhala world that I so hope to explore one day. Uh, live and direct but anyway this cat oak uh, he dropped the sizzle tape he's got like a missy elliott remix that we bump all the time his shambhala tape is dope his bass coast tape boiler room dude is prolific and he's got the magic touch so uh yeah check him out o-a-k-k all caps out of canada uh and hopefully i've kingdom on the social he's never really gotten back to me so i I would love to connect with this dude but in the meantime i'm just going to dap him up and stand for him on my show uh and in the meantime please enjoy this absolutely sexy and sultry and lusty and torrid uh, just it's all the things. It was omnipresent, not only on the playa, but so many DJs have worked it into their set. It's almost like probably jumped the shark by the time it trickles down to me. But I don't give a fuck. I'm going to play it. And uh, we're going to sign off for episode 22 of the Up For Life podcast. Oak remix of uh, Great Dane's Dirty Daddy. And uh, we'll see you next time. This is your host, B. Getz, the Up Polite Podcast. <laughs>